Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development. And each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning again to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, I'm in Melbourne today and it's great to see the city returning to life and crowds returning to the wonderful MCG in over 500 days. Did you watch the game? Uh, no, I didn't see the game, but I must say one thing, even though it was good to have the grand final up here in Brisbane as a one-off, I'm a traditionalist and I think you know I'm looking forward to the grand final being in the MCG again uh, this year. Well done to the Tigers. I'd like to start with Australia's amazing run of data, Matthew. Yesterday, we received labour market data for February with the unemployment rate dropping from 6.3 to, can you believe it, 5.8%, not far off our pre-COVID rate last March of 5.2%. Is it concerning, however, that our economic data appears to be running ahead of expectations? Well, Craig, uh, the jobs outcome was a very uh, strong result. Uh, More than 88,000 jobs created, and we now have 70,000 less people unemployed, which is good news, of course. We're now just under 2,000 jobs short of where we were last February, just before the pandemic hit. Uh, We also saw a strong rebound in hours worked uh, of 6.1%, reversing out that holiday-affected drop in hours work that we saw in January. So yes, another strong result uh, for an Australian economy that continues to be in the vanguard of economies emerging from COVID. Uh, However, not all the news was positive, Matthew. Our participation rate had flattened and more worryingly, potentially, our underemployment rate rose almost half a percent to 8.5%, meaning our labour market underutilisation rate roughly stalled at around 14.4%, a full percentage point higher than the December quarter of 2019, of course, before both the bushfires and COVID. So does this suggest there are some hidden cracks forming in the recovery, Matthew? Well, you're right on both the participation and underutilisation rates, Craig. We must remember, though, that at 66.1%, our participation rate is currently at its highest level since the ABS started collecting data back in 1978. And while there's a, a it's the case that underemployment rate kicked higher. The bulk of the rise occurred in Western Australia, which we suspect is somewhat idiosyncratic as the survey period for the labour market data was held in the first two weeks of February. And that just happened to coincide with the snap lockdown in uh, Perth. So I think we'll find that the underemployment rate result reverses out when we get the March data as, you know, Perth's come out of that lockdown. And it shows that sort of economic cost of those lockdowns are right there. You're listening to Craig Balanceuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the ongoing inflation debate and what are the economic implications. So, Matthew, will the strength in the labour market force the RBA to start to rethink their monetary policy stance? Well, Craig, I think it's one thing to have the labour market improving faster than expected. It's another thing to get the labour market conditions, you know, to tighten sufficiently to generate a sharp enough acceleration in wage growth that could push inflation to the RBA's target. And that's what the RBA is going to be looking at. At 5.8% uh, unemployment rate, we're still a long way from uh, full employment, which the RBA thinks is uh, in the low 4% uh, for unemployment rate, that is. Um, And so we're a long way from uh, sort of inflation uh, being sustained at 2.5%, I think. However, things are moving faster than the RBA had been anticipating. I think we will see the RBA 
put a dated target on its control of the uh, the uh, three-year government bond yield uh, at uh, April 2024, meaning that as we move towards that date, that um, three-year will um, target will, will slowly collapse. In other words, we'll be phasing it out. Yeah, interesting. The Fed, Matthew, also met this week and announced no change to its Fed funds rate target, nor its QE program. And that's in spite of the Fed upgrading their own growth outlook. Is the Fed simply playing this with a straight bat, Matthew? Well, I think I think that's a fair comment. The Fed did upgrade its year-ended growth rate for this year by over two percentage points from 4.2% to 6.5%, and core inflation from 1.8% to an above target 2.2%. Um, but, these upgrades to 2021 aren't permanent. There is some payback in terms of growth in 2023, and there's no change in either growth or inflation forecasts in the longer term. So as a consequence, the Fed has not changed its median projection of the Fed funds rate, which is anchored in the range of zero to 25 basis points over the coming three years. And staying in the US, Matthew, we previously noted that the Biden administration's launch of that $1.9 trillion American rescue package, coming on the back, of course, of those two massive fiscal uh, fiscal packages under the tr- previous Trump administration. Ray Dalio this week in a blog highlighted the risks of the combination of the high government debt issuance requiring the Fed to hoover up bonds to avoid an economically debilitating rise in interest rates. Is the Fed in danger of creating conditions for financial market instability? Well, amongst uh, Ray Dalio's arguments is that the budget boost, uh, combined with the enormous injection of liquidity by the Fed, leads to a rise in inflation expectations and uh, consequently a fall in real bond yields. In his view, uh, negative real bond yields uh, drive investors into other assets, um, assets which have uh, positive real yields. And that uh, eventually, if it's done and en- if there's enough of that occurring because the Fed puts enough money into the system, that ends up creating um, bubbles in asset markets. In uh, Mr. Dalio's world, the Fed will indeed have no option other than to keep funding governments, uh, ever increasing debt with ongoing bond purchases, which leads to ever larger injections of liquidity, rising inflation expectations and uh, negative bond yields. And this process um, continues. It eventually undermines the US dollar and US dollar denominated assets and debt assets in particular uh, more generally. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic data shaping your investment outlook. The Bridgewater boss also noted the asset implications of inflation, Matthew, as you highlighted. We discussed last week why inflation is not a guarantee, despite those money money supply injections. So does this provide the counter-argument to this dollar-denominated debt argument? Yeah, I think that's right, Craig. Look, It's really since mid-February and this latest leg up in bond yields that we've seen since then that has really been creating concerns in the market and to which Mr Dalio, I believe, is responding, notwithstanding his argument relying on very long-term relationships. Um, If I look at what's been happening in markets over the last uh, month and a half, uh, which of course incorporates the Biden administration's passing of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan and the acceleration in vaccine rollout, the rise in the US 10-year bond yields has been 61 basis points. And that's 
half of the total rise in yields that we've seen since since their collapse during the onset of the pandemic a year ago. So a big relative rise in yields, in bond yields, in a really short period of time. But the rise in nominal yields that we've seen since February has a really important distinguishing characteristic about it differently from the rise in yields that we saw prior to February. And that is it's been driven not by higher inflation expectations, regardless of what uh, you know the press is saying, but rather by higher real yields. Uh, this is, in, as I said, it's in stark contrast to the period preceding February when recovering inflation expectations put, pushed nominal yields higher and indeed pushed real bond yields lower. And that created that switching into uh, risk assets. That change in the driver of higher nominal yields from higher inflation expectations to higher real yields can reflect um, a couple of things. It can reflect investors' more optimistic outlook on the economy, uh, which is reflected in an expectation of uh, Fed tightening uh, occurring earlier rather than later. Um, if the economy is recovering and employment and incomes are rising, then government revenues will be increasing and fiscal repair can also commence earlier than anticipated. Yeah, very interesting. So, Matthew, what does this therefore uh, benign scenario mean for our financial markets, including the OECD? Well, it's far less apocalyptic than Mr Dalio's scenario. It means that as we exit COVID, the deep negative growth shocks that occurred as a result of the lockdowns can be rather quickly reversed and government deficits can be reduced more quickly than in the Dalio scenario. Central banks can also start to reduce stimulus measures and allow interest rates to drift higher without undermining the growth look, outlook. However, the drive to ever lower real bond yields, I think, uh, is at an end. So further uh, rallies in risk assets will have to come from improved economic fundamentals rather than uh, monetary stimulus. Matthew, if I could just quickly jump in there for our audience, can you explain to us quickly why you think those real bond yields are at an end? Well, I, I think that um, inflation expectations are pretty fully priced now. Um, uh, you know, at, a, at around above two percent, I think what we're going to find is uh, the recovery in the labour market, and with excess capacity still existing in the global economy, I don't see a lot of upside for inflation expectations from here. But I do see upside for growth. So I think uh, bond yields will start continue to rise gradually, but it'll come from that. Uh, real side, uh, real bond yields rather than inflation expectations. Um, I think the unknown though, Craig, is really how quickly we can return to full employment and how quickly we will see wage growth push core inflation higher. Um, but if employment growth and inflation surprises on the upside, um, then the Fed can adjust monetary policy accordingly so that inflation expectations remain well anchored. Um, would this cause a rout in bond markets and undermine uh, risk asset value valuations? Uh, my guess is the adjustment higher in wage growth and inflation will be gradual and the Fed will have time to adjust monetary policy to allow for an orderly rise in interest rates. Matthew, we discussed inflation earlier and you commented on the slack in the local economy. Does that same slack apply to the global economy? And if so, what are the implications for an institutional portfolio? Well, you're right, Craig, we mustn't forget that despite the fantastic recovery we are seeing globally, we're still operating with considerable slack across the world economy and we're still some way off a situation of a ho overheated global economy. Uh, of course, there'll be hiccups along the way. Um, 
overnight we we got the news that Paris has just gone to a month one month lockdown, for example. And and I know this tends to be taken as a bit of a mantra amongst fund managers, but I do think the classic conditions are being set where a well diversified portfolio, both across assets and geographies, will provide investors with that best mix of risk and return going forward. Matthew, you're a brave man taking on Ray Dalio, but it is a valued alternate view that you put forward for us to consider. In summary, in the current economic climate, strong money supply doesn't necessarily equal high inflation. With capacity in the economy still to be utilised and the ability of central banks to respond by ceasing QE and then tightening rates suggests there is a valid counter-argument to the views expressed by the world's leading hedge fund manager. And as we saw currently, the Fed isn't blinking with a consistent policy stance in place. And what a great result for Australians returning to work in their droves with that large jump in employment levels. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's QPod. Write to us at qpod.qic.com with your views and comments. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.